So we're gonna get started. Again, Steve yep. Barsh from Dream Adventures in Philadelphia. Gil Beta from Comcast Adventures, thanks for joining us today. Again, we're gonna talk about why are unicorns failing or struggling? What's going yep. on? What should founders be doing about it when they're raising and pitching? Can we get started? Who are you? What have you done? What do you do today? Yes, okay. Rewind a little bit. My career is broken down into three areas. Um, the first 10 years of my career, I was a software developer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next 10 years was a uh, founder, CTO of a couple of tech companies in mm -hmm. New York. Um, and then for the last 11 years, I've been in venture. Okay. Uh, so uh, start off by founded Genicast, which is a seed fund right. affiliated with Comcast. Um, and still write million dollar seeds, seed stage checks, um, mostly B2B tech companies right. out of Genicast. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in addition to that, a few years ago, I joined Comcast Ventures as a partner to do later stage uh, ventures. Uh, and Comcast Ventures um, is multi-stage mm -hmm. and invests in consumer and Like how, how early, multi-stage, how early? Like $100,000 check so up seed. to, yes, okay. we'll do seed to, to, to later stage. All right. Uh, and I'm on the enterprise side and yep. uh, focused on frontier tech. So cool things like quantum and mm -hmm. AI and mesh networking and fun things like that. Okay, and then just so the audience has a little better perspective on Comcast Ventures, how late will you do a series B, E, D, you know, how late in the stack? Probably like A is our sweet spot. Yep. Um, we'll go a little bit later okay. um, into B or C. Right. And just something to note is um, obviously, we're the venture arm of Comcast and NBC Universal. Um, I like to call us optionally strategic. So companies right. we invest in don't have to have anything to do with Comcast, mm -hmm. NBC Universal, now Sky. Right. Um, but certainly, if there's that potential, we can open those doors and, and try to make something happen. Got it. And before we dive into a couple yeah. things, can we name names? I mean, your portfolio is out on your webpage. What are some brands or names that people would recognize that Comcast Ventures or Genicast is invested in that they might recognize as a as a venture. Yeah, um, well, one company that we invested in, Big ID, okay, in, cool. the, uh, in the privacy data security right. space. They're down in DC, if I remember. Uh, they're, in, they're in New York. New York, I'm yeah. sorry, okay. Um, earlier this year, I invented, uh, invested in a company called Zapata Computing mm -hmm. in the quantum computing software space. Right. Really exciting uh, about that. Yeah. Uh, just closed the deal last Friday uh, in a company called Neural Magic, mm -hmm. which is in the AI acceleration space. All right. Uh, uh, and, and also a company called uh, Gotenna mm -hmm. in right. the uh, wireless mesh networking space. On the, on the Comcast side, are there some, like if I remember there's the neighborhood one, or like what are some of the bigger that are public? Don't Next so, Door Next is door. one Thank you. that, that, that um, Comcast Ventures is invested in. Yep. We also do um, consumer deals, mm -hmm. so uh, Away Luggage is one of ours, right. Zola mm -hmm. is another portfolio company. Um, we invested in Lyft uh, as well, Slack. Right, yeah. heard of those? Okay, yeah. cool, yeah. so some big companies and almost- Some of them have recently gone public. And some of them have gone public, yeah. okay, yeah. cool. So we'll have an insight, okay. So let's let's dive into it and, and get into some of the questions here. So a lot of this, my goodness, you know, we work is dominating the news yeah. these days in, in startup land. So before we get into that, I just wanted to ask, you know, in, in a sense, the, the stance that we're taking here is, you know, a lot of pre, pre-IPO unicorns are failing or struggling. And mm -hmm. then the ones that come to mind to me are WeWork and, you know, from a year or two ago where Ubiome is, is recently yeah. um, and Theranos, like would be some, you know, these are dominating unicorns that yeah. just go to zero. WeWork hasn't gone to zero. Um, and then post-IPO valuations are, are dropping in some of the companies that you even mentioned. So the first thing is, how would you define either failing or struggling? Like, if we're using that term, how yeah. do we define it? That so you, you mentioned a number of companies there. Yep. We should separate, like, Theranos, which was, you know, fraud, okay. right, misrepresentation there, yep. from some of the other companies you mentioned. Right. Um, uh, like, you know, WeWork uh, and all, which I don't think was, was fraud, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about the company, the business model, and expectations. M misunderstanding by whom? Uh, of uh, the expectations were set. Right. Um, and there was a misalignment between uh, later stage investors, earlier stage investors, public markets, the private markets, mm -hmm. uh, and all. We can get we can get into that. Okay. But, but failure, right. to me, is is really about uh, a company not delivering on um, its promises. Right. And it has many promises, right? It has promises to the customers, mm -hmm. to employees, 
to investors uh, and all. Right. And so um, WeWork is a really interesting situation where they're delivering a great service to their customers. Absolutely. We have a WeWork office space in New York City. It's terrific. And people love it. Yeah. A lot of my portfolio companies are at or have been at mm -hmm. uh, WeWork locations. Yep. And so they were you know, fulfilling that need there and doing right. it really well. They right. invented a new category. Well, wait, did they? I mean, Regis, there's a lot of people in the shared office space that existed way before we were. Yeah. I mean, they built a great brand. Yeah, I think they, if, if, it's, if there's such a word, millennialized it, okay. right? They, right? They right. brought it into Maybe it's the next generation. Yeah, they made yeah. it, they, they made it, they made it cool, yeah. fun. They had, it was, it was less corporate, mm -hmm. uh, more accessible. Um, so they, f they fulfilled that promise. Right. Um, the employees, you know, I, I think uh, on the employee side, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, you know, is a growing company. There was a lot of opportunity for, for the employees. So to be seen, but so far, I know that there's some, some, uh, you know, some cuts coming, but, yeah. but, 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 but I think that, that where they failed was really around investors, right? Right. And it's in, in existing investors yeah. and then also future investors, which is why they didn't end up going public. On existing investors, let's just talk about SoftBank for a minute, not yeah. SoftBank, but related back to Comcast. Have you ever, you know, like, will you have one venture investor that just keeps leading and taking rounds? It yeah. seems a little unusual. Would you agree? Like, does Comcast ever go into the seed, Series A, Series B, and keeps leading and they're like kind of the only dominant investor? So you have no independent party. I don't, I don't know yeah. all the specifics on how SoftBank did it, but like, where's the valuation coming from? Right. Where's the checks and balances? Right. Do you we, ever have that? We don't tend to do that. Right. We like to uh, spread the risk yep. and also bring in other smart folks to the table. Right. Right. We provide a certain set of value mm -hmm. with our partners, our network, what have you. Um, we like when there are other folks who can you know, bring the company to that next level, help us bring the company to the next level. Right. So in the, in the case of uh, of WeWork, you know, I, I think it goes beyond WeWork in in the whole late stage funding, um, I, I guess, you know, trend that we're seeing now, mm -hmm. which is that companies after they reach a billion billion dollars in valuation, yep. normally in the past that would, they would be ripe for going public. Sure, absolutely. And there are a lot of positives to going public, a lot of negatives yep. going to public. Big drag. A lot of these companies have decided that we want to stay private longer. Well, we don't why? want the pressure right. of Wall Street. Right, is that why they're deciding? Right, because okay. Wall Street holds them to a very specific standard. Uh -huh. um, and if they have business models that are unfamiliar to Wall Street, Got it. Then there may be some miscommunication there, business, missed expectations, and mm -hmm. stocks drop. Bus business models are economics. I mean, the business model, you know, is it that yeah, unit it's economics? You're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's both. And also, some of these companies um, are growing very rapidly, yep. uh, but not yet profitable. Right. Wall Street. I think we'll tolerate that mm -hmm. for a time, mm -hmm. but they want to see light at the end of the tunnel. All right. They want to see a business that is growing yeah. uh, and that is sustainable over the long term. But if you look, let's let's rewind the clock sure. a little bit. If we, if we talk about Amazon. Yeah. Amazon wasn't profitable for, and I don't remember all the data, maybe you do, I, I don't remember, but yeah. it wasn't profitable for, for a long, long time. Long yeah. time. Yeah. And, and I mean, the stock price kind of was depressed, but eventually grew. But, but sure. anyway, you know, but if you, if you look at WeWork and you said sometimes companies are staying private longer, they're commanding these huge valuations. I'm just yeah. curious as an investor and more on the Comcast side, when you're getting to the later rounds, don't you want a company to go public? Because eventually you want to get your funds back out. There's only yeah. two ways, right? They're going to, yeah. you know, they're going to get acquired or they're going to go public. Yeah. How long but, do you but, want? But actually, when these large essentially PE firms come in mm -hmm. and write big checks, multi-hundred million dollar or multi-billion you know, dollar checks, right. uh, it gives the early investors an opportunity to sell out their That's position. True. All right. right. So right. it's just as good Got it. as, as an exit, uh, an IPO, 
so for, it, for us. Is that is that occurring a lot in these later stages? Yes. The ones that you see that they're buying out the early investors. It's not just treasury stock yeah. where a hundred million comes in and it just goes straight into the company. Some of it might be the company, but some might be investors right. taking chips off. Investors the table. and founders as well. All right, right, because the founders have built up all this equity. Sure, sure. They're worth billions. Right, right. On paper. But on on paper. Right. Um, and these later stage investors want to reduce the pressure on even the founders. Right. Um, to give them more runway to IPO as opposed to rushing to IPO so that the founders have some liquidity. Say, no, we'll give you some liquidity, sell some of your shares, right. um, and run the company for a number of years longer right. to grow and then IPO. Okay, all right. So let's go pre-IPO. Sure. And, and first, I want to bring something up, and, and we didn't talk about this in advance, but I'm sure you remember it. Like, you and I were involved in a failure together, right? I built Packlate. You I love invested. I'm, yes. I'm sorry about that. No, no, no. And I, I remember when yeah. I, you know, I was CEO of that, and I raised from you, and I raised from first round, and a bunch of people. Yeah. And I think, you know, you and a couple of them, Chris, we were like, look, you know, you, you, you tried for three years. You burned through a million and a half dollars. It didn't work. You pivoted three times, and, you know, and we move on. Sure. In startup land, there's that, you know, if you're going to fail, fail fast, Yeah. right? But is this different in unicorns? When, when you're saying PE firms coming in and billion dollar valuations and they still fail, yeah. you know, Roy Rosen has a great line. It's not about failing fast, it's about learning fast. Yeah. You know, so, you know, pack late and a million and a half dollars in three years is a lot of time, but it wasn't, it was a lot of money, but not on the order of magnitude sure. we're seeing here. Do you think they're, these are startups at the unicorn level that are, you know, worth 500 million or more, if obviously unicorn's a billion, but they're violating that golden rule. Like, why are they failing so late? Is it fraud yeah. and a Theranos or Ubiome? Is it a I think it gets back to the question that you had before, yeah. which is what is failure? All right. So Lyft, you know, the price may not be where we all want it to be right. or Slack or Uber, Uber Peloton, right? right. Uh, but those uh, Blue Apron, there's a lot. But, but those, to right. me, those are not failures. Okay. Right. They're providing services. Absolutely. There may be a disconnect with Wall Street, which right. is, uh, you know, I think very real. Yeah. Um, and part of that disconnect, I think, is that these companies have been private for so long. Right. They've been funded for so long mm -hmm. that they've tried to stay under the radar. Mm -hmm. I mean, why, you, don't, you don't IPO because you want to stay under the radar and you want to be able to grow quickly and you want to be able to break things and, uh, and, and move quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's a perception that if you IPO, that you're constrained in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, so by staying, trying to stay under the radar for so long and mm -hmm. growing so big, then you flip the switch in IPO and you can't just turn the company on a, di uh, on a dime. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, um, uh, you know, add that transparency that you have when you go public, mm -hmm. those financial regulations mm -hmm. when you go public, those expectations. And I think it's a shock to the company. And right. it takes a while for the company to readjust the expectations uh, around Wall Street. All right. Um, and, and so these are all, you know, a number of the companies that we mentioned are all great companies. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And they'll be here for the long term. Right. Um, the fact that their stock price is down is not, to me, a failure. Right. Yeah, and it's just, I was looking at Blue Apron the other day and I was reading an article. Yeah. It was this article, Derek, I forget Derek's last name. It was in The Atlantic, terrific article. And he was talking about the, the, the subsidy of these millennial companies is what he was saying. Yeah. It's like, and you know, you sleep on a Casper mattress, you take an Uber, you take a Lyft, you go and use your Peloton. And these are all companies yeah. where the unit economics aren't working. Yeah. Right, you, you know, with Blue Apron's acquiring company, it's what they had showed, you know, they acquire a customer, excuse me, their CAC, their cost of customer acquisition is $460, yeah. and their average lifetime value of a customer is $400. Wow. Every customer, they're losing 60. Yeah. That's in the public market. So right. And anyway, but I want to go back yeah. to WeWork for a minute, and I want to challenge you on, on one thing. When sure. we say, you know, was it fraud? Was it people not understanding? Again, you were on a board, I was running a company. Sure. I, let me just challenge you on a couple yeah. of things. If I said to you at a board meeting, if it came up at a board meeting, by the way, Gil, I own the, the copyright separately for we company. I personally yeah. own the copyright. I filed yeah. it even though I'm running this company. Let's skip fiduciary duty. And I'm yeah. gonna sell it to WeWork for $5 million and WeWork is gonna pay me personally $5 million. Would you let that go through? That was very shady. Okay, so yeah. that's shady. No Let's question. try another slim yeah. shady. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. This yeah. beautiful building, one Penn Center that we're yeah. in. Again, Bond Collective, gorgeous space. Check yeah. us out on the 20th floor. You know what? I'm going to buy the building. I'm yeah. going to buy the underlying asset personally. I'm going to lease it back yeah. to my own company for an above market rate. WeWork will never make money, but I'm making tons yeah. of cash. And I'm going to have the same bankers that are going to take me public. They're going to borrow. 
But that I, does not pass the sniff test either. So, so yeah. how is that? And I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit, sure. but like, how is that shit happening? <laughs> you know, like at a board meeting, like yeah. how is how is a company that's so dominant again, a great brand, great service. Yeah. But what's going on that that, that can occur? And it's not where's the what's happening that, that that is taking place? Who's minding the store? Yeah. I don't I know. Mean, Obviously, because I, I wasn't in the, in, yes, in, in, in the boardroom. <laughs> right. But 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 I suspect was anyone that, in the boardroom? <laughs> I suspect that um, the company was growing so quickly. Yeah. And everybody was so excited um, that they turned potentially turned a blind eye to some of these dealings here. That they were, you know, things on the edge. That right. the business was was doing so well. Right. That okay, you know, we'll allow him this, or you know, allow the you know the the, the founder that. Right. Uh, but those things should not have happened. Okay. Clearly. I, yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. would agree. That's yeah. like, yeah. All right. So so we see some valuations coming down. Um, we we see public market valuations coming down. When we look at all of this and downward valuations, do you think this is a, a, a temporary thing or long term trend? Like, would you expect if you're looking at your crystal ball? Would you expect for the rest of 2019 or 2020, would you expect to see more unicorns, public or private, you can cut it up anyway, kind of down rounds or down valuations or, or intense pressure? Or do you think this is just an anomaly? Frankly, I think it's an anomaly. All right. Um, there are still so many great companies out there right. um, that are growing, have real, you know, uh, real businesses, uh -huh. are, are making, you know, have the chance to be Airbnb. profitable yeah. and, uh, and um, like why should they be penalized for these other companies that maybe had had failed business models where right. their customer acquisition uh, acquisition costs were higher than their long-term value right. right right i think you have to look at each one on its own and then then there's a sort of overriding uh, um, position which is that there's still so much money out there right. for investing. I saw a statistic the other day, can't remember the exact numbers, but there is, there are so many funds out there with so much money that's still on the sideline. Right. And when you're in a fund, your job is to deploy, deploy. capital, right. not just Absolutely. sit on it right. for five years. Right. So they're gonna deploy capital. Right. And when you have these these venture funds you know, deploying capital, maybe they're not making 100% rational decisions mm -hmm. Uh, because they have to deploy the capital, they right. have to get it, they have to, they have to make it work. So, right. so I think that yeah, there's some public market, um, you know, uh, maybe depression going on with, with some of these companies, mm -hmm. but there's also still a lot of pent up capital that right. is waiting to be uh, invested. So it needs to be deployed to their limited partners. They have a fiduciary duty, and and I think about Dreamit, right? So we're mm -hmm. focusing on seed stage series A companies that are coming in. We do our three verticals, secure mm -hmm. tech, urban tech, and health tech. And the intensity that our companies go through of due diligence, because we don't lead rounds, right? So yeah. they go through, we accelerate, we de-risk, we bring them out on investor sprints, and, you know, they get they get the term sheets. Yeah. The level of diligence they go through is unbelievably intense. So yeah. while this capital's pent up, right? You just don't write check. Right. You have right. to go through all these hoops and kind of, it's even when I go back to like, you buy on that. And I don't know all the details. I just know it's like now filing for chapter sure. seven. Um, Theranos. Like I know a couple people that looked at Theranos and just ran the other way. Yeah. How are, yes, there's a pressure to deploy. Yeah. But where's the diligence? Like yeah. it, it, there was, I know a couple of people that are very scientific that were like, they don't think real due diligence was done because yeah. like, look, just trust us. It's a magic box. Right. Any right. thoughts on how that might be occurring? Is there that yeah. much pressure to write big checks that, there People is, but, but, but I would say um, at Comcast Ventures, we still do a lot of diligence. Right. We're known out there in the industry for folks that probably won't do a deal in 24 hours, 48 hours, how many, right? Comcast Ventures, how many, how many deals a year do you guys do? Um, we probably do 10 or 15 new deals a year, right. and then we do multiple you know, okay. follow-up So about a deal deals. a month, roughly. Yeah. How yeah. big is the team, and are you allowed to say, I don't know if it's a specific fund size? Yeah, we don't, we don't uh, announce okay. the, the fund size, Fine. Uh, but we have eight partners. Okay, eight uh, partners. Half of those are on uh, 
consumer, and yeah. half of those are on enterprise. And then your West Coast, East Coast, the U.S., right? Yeah, we have offices here in Philadelphia, yep. in New York, San Francisco, which right. is our largest office, and then Los Angeles. Okay, so you're doing yeah. about a deal a month, right? Yeah. So uh, we were just talking about you, you do a lot of diligence around these we things. We do. What's that time yeah. frame when you're diligencing um, A, B, C kind of, is that a month, a week, two um, months? Uh, we have been known to do deals in a couple weeks or right. a few weeks, right? Um, we want to be responsive. If it's a hot deal, a space that we're excited about, a team that we're excited about, mm -hmm. we have the opportunity to move quickly and right. potentially do a deal in, right. in two weeks, maybe three weeks. Mm -hmm. Most of our deals take between, let's say, a month or, and two months. So let's go back. You said if it's a hot deal. Yeah. Do you think with some of these unicorns, some of these valuations, some, they're not all crazy. There's just a few. And again, maybe it's an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's people are like letting their guard down that these hot deals or, or even, you know, we we're going to talk about it later, but let's bring it up now. You know, you have some CEOs that get these super voting rights. It's what, what happened at WeWork. It's what sure. happened at Uber, where the CEO is just going to dominate and control, which is yeah. a little, look, when I was a CEO, I never did that. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to realize to do <laughs> no. it. But I, what's yeah. shocking to me yeah. is that a venture investor that wants to have preferred rights and preferred shares, yeah. they're not getting control or the level of control. Yeah. Is that really happening? And is it happening because the deal is just so hot, people do whatever it takes to get their money in the deal? So we shouldn't look at these outliers and expect that uh, the industry is moving in that direction. All it's right. not. Right. I think, you know, the, the industry is very sane. Mm -hmm. um, there's a good checks good and balances between the founders um, the investors, employees, uh, and all. Mm -hmm. So the trend is not these super voting rights. All right. Occasionally, if there is a fast-moving deal, yeah. one of these unicorns, yeah. I think that some investors may let their guard down a bit right. and accept terms. And in many cases, it, it, it ends up paying off. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's uh, true. And, and, and the, yeah, the, if you're an early investor in Uber, that, that paid off. That's right. Yeah. It's paid off we many know a couple funds. Of them, right? Yes, right. Yes, yeah, correct. absolutely. Yes. So, but I, don't, I wouldn't say that there's a trend towards Got these it. sort of super voting rights. Okay. So you wouldn't see, like, one of the things I want to ask you, do you think about all the things that are going on that investors are spooked or going to change the way they look mm -hmm. at things? Do you think that, do you think all of this is, and I want to get to, like, what does sure. this mean to founders today? Do they need yeah. to adjust or think about things? Do you think anybody is spooked? Do you look at things, you know, if it's a later stage deal or other venture, later stage venture investors, you know, do you think they're looking at things any differently? I know I have. Okay. In, in what way? Uh, yeah, it, you know, I've seen a number of really interesting companies yep. in growing spaces, um, whether it's in cybersecurity or IoT. I thought IoT. you were going to talk about the cannabis industry for yeah, a second. Yeah, growing spaces now. Okay. <laughs> growing <laughs> space. Right, right. Um, that um, I, I've, I've sort of taken a pause. These are companies that have taken tens of millions of dollars, mm -hmm. are raising maybe a B, mm -hmm. um, and um, the product is not yet in market. Now, it's a hot team, repeat entrepreneurs, yeah, yeah. it's a hot space. Mm -hmm. And I step back and say, okay, if I write you know, a five or a $10 million check, I'll right. have a tiny ownership, and there's still a lot of risk on the table. Right. I'm fine letting other investors, you know, do those deals. I don't have to be in those, you know, super hot deals. I'd love to be in those deals. At the right price. But it's at the right price. At the right and, and so we're staying disciplined. Our fund is architected in such a way mm -hmm. at Comcast Ventures where um, it's an evergreen fund. Mm -hmm. um, what can you define in case people don't? What's an evergreen yeah, fund? Yeah, it, it's that we have, um, uh, we don't have to go and raise capital mm -hmm. every three or four years. Got it. Um, like a venture fund does. Mm -hmm. And that gives us an opportunity to, uh, to be patient investors, mm -hmm. patient with portfolio companies, mm -hmm. and also be patient at looking at new, new investment opportunities. Okay. And if we see there's a bubble, then um, we can wait it out and we can slow down a little bit. Um, so, so like you were talking about, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but sure. some of these later stage deals that are really hot, do you think like with, when you said you, the way you look at them has changed a yeah. little bit, is one of the things, you know, are, are you, you know, previously, particularly on West Coast kind of deals, we'll call them, you know, it was growth at any cost. Yeah. You know, do, do you think that's still true? You know, the CAC to LTV ratios, that type of thing. Is it still growth at any cost? Like I, I don't think it's growth at any cost right. anymore. Okay. I, I think that... Do you think it was Today, before? yeah, it was. I, I don't think uh, they have to have a positive 
customer acquisition to to lifetime value right. today. All right. I think what we need to see is that there's potential, there's some knobs and dials and switches mm -hmm. to get you there in mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. And it's not about, you know, we need um, you know, more growth, faster growth, right? Um, it, it's that there are structural aspects of the business mm -hmm. that over time will mm -hmm. change in the favor of the company so that they can, you know, turn that, turn that corner. Got it. Uh, let's do, pivot the conversation a little bit. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a dream at live and we mm -hmm. did it with Anthony Bucci who runs the Grabzilla. Love and, yes. Anthony Anthony's is awesome. He's Dustin, great. Who's, who's running yeah. all the gear today, worked with him at Revzilla and they produced and, and did great things. He bootstrapped that company. Yeah. All the way to exit by a private equity firm, I think 450 people, or two distribution centers, big yeah. company. Turn five, do you know the Steve yeah. and team at Turn Five, yeah. bootstrapped. <clears throat> to get to yeah. this size is the only way, venture, to get to, I mean, they're not, I don't I don't know Turn Five's numbers, I don't know Revzilla, what it sure. got up to, but it got pretty big, yeah. and bootstrapped. Do you, do you have to raise venture, or when, for these size yeah. companies? You don't have to. Right. Uh, and there are some companies that should not raise. Right. Like, right? like what? Or companies what where maybe it's a little bit slower growth, right. um, where maybe the exit, it, it might not be a multi-hundred million dollar exit. Right. Um, once you take venture capital, you're on that path right. for a large exit. Right. right? right. And uh, even though a smaller exit might be life-changing for the founders, mm -hmm. Not so much for the venture fund. Right. right. And, and so I think that um, what venture capital buys you right. is an ability to accelerate at a rate faster than your sales. Right. So right. how do you grow when sure. you don't have outside capital? Right. You use non-dilutive capital, right. i.e. sales. Right. And um, you grow sales, you make a profit, you reinvest that profit in the company. It's a beautiful model. It, it Most of the businesses in the country, small, medium-sized businesses are like that, right? Right, right, right. It, you, you bring on capital when um, uh, either you need to invest in technology mm -hmm. or in brand, in market, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, order to, in, in order to get to market. Right. Um, and then sometimes you have to invest in customer acquisition costs that are below your lifetime value right. in order to get that flywheel going. Right. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. And again, maybe they're outliers. You know, Linda yeah. was acquired by LinkedIn. Yeah. Right? MailChimp, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Epic, which is a big EHR electronic yeah. health record, right? They're all bootstrap companies. Yeah. I mean, I think Linda took some money. Turn five, I look by the way, again, a yeah. Philly company that specializes in the in the um, car and motorsports, kind of not motorsports, but in the car space. I looked in Crunchbase and Turn 5 has raised $466,000. It was a grant from Pennsylvania. <laughs> that's and great. I, I, mean, I, I, don't I know, love those five, stories. Oh my that's God, awesome. there are 500, 600 yeah. people. So they're not yeah. a unicorn, but that's a big yeah. company. Yeah. Um, and it's, so it's, it's interesting, like, can, can yeah. you bootstrap one? Can you, and you, yeah. can't, and you can't lease office buildings and create a WeWork on. <laughs> you, right. You're going to need a lot right. of capital to do yeah. that. So interesting. So in, in the ones, and again, you're thinking they're kind of outliers. Let's just hit it one more time. We talked about it a little bit. Who's to blame? Is there anyone to blame? Is it, is it a, and I'll, I'll give you some choices. Is it, are VCs getting it wrong? Are our CEOs being either fraudulent or deceitful or hiding certain things? Is it boards not doing their jobs? In, let's just talk yeah. about the three. You buy them, Theranos, <laughs> we work. We work isn't a failure, right? Yeah. Maybe, you know, yeah. now we'll see. Back. It's still yeah. many chapters, many to, chapters right? to go. Yeah. But yeah. what do you, what's the root cause? What do you think on those three? And maybe they're all different. Yeah. Well, well a couple of those were, were fraud. Yep. And so Absolutely. that Two is, of them were fraud. yeah. So that's everybody around the table is to blame in, right. in that case where, where folks were not asking the right questions mm -hmm. and the right questions were there to be asked. It's not like you had to have. Uh, you know, a, a degree in, you know, biopharmacy right. or chemistry right. or whatever. And by the answer way, the right for Theranos, by the way, maybe when you start seeing people like Henry Kissinger on the board of directors of the Theranos, the scientific, that's your first clue, like run, right? <laughs> like It's, it's definitely a question you should ask, right? right? The, you know, the value, look, you know, he's, he's an American hero. Yeah, he is. And, and all, but, you know, what value does he add you know, to, to, to the table? So, right. you know, I, I think that there's enough blame to go around. Mm -hmm. um, 
again, these are outlier cases. Right. And just as in, you know, you know, bad, you know, legal cases make for bad laws. Right. Right. I don't think, you know, we should necessarily do anything differently. You know, there are great investors, some in those companies, uh, you know, uh, th that are have always and continue to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of inherent risk in, in general, in venture-backed businesses. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, uh, and, and and so I think there's an opportunity here to sort of step back and see what were the questions. Mm -hmm. Are there some new questions that we should be asked? Right. But I think the fact that this doesn't happen that often is a testament to things working. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's good. It's just I guess when it does happen, it's such a spectacular failure right? yeah if, if the numbers yeah. you know when a we work goes from whatever yeah. uh, we think we're gonna go public at 47 billion dollars to a month and a half later it's practically gonna go bankrupt unless it gets and, and it right and the value is now what seven or eight billion it's just like the, right. the spread and the numbers are so yeah. big and the deltas are so huge yeah. it's just but the like, fact that it's so surprising yeah, yeah means it doesn't happen that often okay yeah, right? fair enough yeah. Right. It's like a plane the, crash God forbid yeah right? thousands and thousands of companies get right. funded every year right and many of them don't go anywhere. Some of them go to raise, you know, follow-on funding. Right. They have a lot of exits that happen. And yes, once in a while we have you know, sort of these okay. situations. Fair enough. Good yeah. point. Okay, so let's transition the conversation sure. to if a founder in a startup is watching now, you know, what should they do differently? Do you think there's any impact on startups? Like you even said, you're looking at things a little differently. Yeah. yeah. Are you seeing East Coast, West Coast is a little different on the West Coast maybe, but any impact? Things being looked at a little differently? And if I'm a CEO and I'm raising, yeah. what? What, what adjustments maybe should I be making? I don't, I don't think CEOs of early stage startup companies should be doing anything differently. Okay. If they're good, mm -hmm. they're, already, um, uh, they're already prepared to answer the hard questions around your business model and mm -hmm. competition and go to market strategy and your customer acquisition costs right. and, and all of that. Right. If, they're looking at some of these later stage companies, some of it imploded, yeah. and, and they're saying, oh my gosh, I have to look at my customer acquisition cost versus my lifetime value. Right. Like, really, that's the wake up call? Right. Have you never had a call with any investor, right? right? Uh, so I don't think that they should be doing anything differently. And also, um, there's one thing to talk about um, you know, large trends in the industry mm -hmm. around funding and, you know, is there a, you know, a bottleneck or, or you know, a, or a desert in one phase or the right. next? Right. Yeah, there may be these, these large trends where, that are going on. Where? Seed, Series A, B? Where? Wherever it might be. It changes. Right. It changes it all the around. time, all right? right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that CEOs of early stage companies should even be paying attention right. to those things, right? right? Because th those are... If you're a great company mm -hmm. um, and you're growing and you have good customer traction and, and all, you're going to get funded, irrespective of whether it's a down market, an up market, whether there's a Series A squeeze or a B squeeze or, or, crunch, or what right, have you, right? Right. right. Um, uh, you're going to you're going to get funded, right. and the companies that are on the margin, mm -hmm. they should be trying to run 100 miles an hour anyway, right. irrespective of of the market. Okay. But you don't think, you know, again, let's just, I'm trying to think of a couple, not WeWork. If you look at Uber, if you look at Lyft, if you look at Blue Apron, and they're all very, very different. I'm sure. lumping together. And yeah. It's not exactly yeah, yeah. fair, but unit economics. It just seems to me, you'd think that yeah. some investors are going to be like, well, look, a miracle occurs. Our CAC and LTV yeah. eventually crosses, right. and we're right. going to stop subsidizing right. the millennial lifestyles with this, again, this TechCrunch article talking <laughs> right. the other day. This right. Derek, I'm not TechCrunch, yeah. it was in the Atlantic. It was great. He's like... You know, it's all subsidized. You don't, yeah. you don't think that people, like, especially on unit economics, be, I mean, we ask that. We see all of our startups that go through Dream It get asked that. You don't think people. Like, is that uh, a new question? It's not a new question. Is that, is, is, all of a sudden, yeah. should we be asking that question? <laughs> it just seems like some You've people, been asking it. Uh, we've been asking We've been asking it. Everybody, you used to ask everybody it asks, right. uh, asks those, those questions. Right, yeah. right. But you don't think it'll yeah. come under closer scrutiny? Because again, a, a yeah. lot of people are like, these are companies that are now, there's public companies and they're still not at proper yeah. unit economics where it's profitable. Hence yeah. why they're getting hammered. So I think markets. that there's a difference. On the venture side, we've mm -hmm. been asking those questions forever. Right. 
Um, I think that as more and more of these companies mm -hmm. with these different business models in quotation mm -hmm. um, go public, mm -hmm. I think the public markets mm -hmm. are trying to figure out how do, how do these businesses turn the corner? Right. How do they become profitable? How do they turn the CAC and LTV upside down again? Mm -hmm. How do they look like traditional businesses that, that the public markets have been investing in for generations right. uh, and, and, and growing. And you know, I think that they've, I think they're still trying to figure that out. And that, that's why I don't think it's healthy mm -hmm. for these companies once they've reached a certain size mm -hmm. to purposely not go public right. and take private equity mm -hmm. because uh, Wait, it's a good thing. Which way did you no, go? No, no, it's, it's it's not a good thing. Not a good thing. It's okay. not a good thing. Right. Uh, because they're just delaying the inevitable, which is being accountable. Yeah. yeah. Right. To the public right. markets. Right. Right. Um, and, um, and and I think there's a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. Like when you go public, mm -hmm. that cultural shift just doesn't just happen. Right. 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 If it if if you haven't your your company has not shifted mm -hmm. from one of you know negative LTV to CAC, right. um, uh, not a profitable business, no uh, no profitability in sight, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you go public. Right, it's going to be very difficult for that to play out on the stage of Wall Street. Got it. Right? Okay, and you know what they public say. Public investors. Yeah, and what, yeah, you know what they say. You know, shift happens. But anyway. Yes. All right. A couple last things. We brought up about super voting rights before. Yeah. Um, I just want to read a quote for something, and then ask you a couple sure. questions. It was an interesting um, Vox article, Vox Recode article from um, Ronnie Mullen, and she wrote uh, she in she interviewed Amy Boris on the Council of Institutional Investors in this article, and it's about WeWork, and she wrote. Kind of similar to something you said. There's so much private money chasing founders with promising startups. Mm -hmm. Founders are in the driver's seat or have been. They can demand and get super voting stock that guarantees them control of their company, even if they don't have equity control. Um, do, do you, how frequently are you seeing that in later stage or even early stage? Do you see that? And do you think that's going to continue? Or is it like, again, it's an I, I've never seen You've that. Never seen You've that. never seen I've that. I've never okay. seen that. It, these are outliers. All right. Okay, right. again, yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Um, let, let's just wrap it up and last thing. So is, are there one or two takeaway messages? If I'm a founder, I'm running a, a company, I'm trying to raise my A, B, C, series A, B, sure. and C. Anything different? Or, or sharpen up my unit economics, sharpen up my ratios, or yeah. stay that everything's normal, everything's the same? If you haven't asked yourself the question, yeah. Um, you're a little bit later stage company, let's say, you know, series B or mm -hmm. C or, or beyond. Mm -hmm. um, if, you, if you haven't sharpened your story <clears throat> around how do you turn the corner, mm -hmm. you better do that. I think you're, you're going to get asked that question more and more these days um, around, we're not just going to assume that something magical will happen and all of a sudden, your, 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 your business model will change and you'll be, you'll be profitable. I think you really need to think about that. Right. And I think you need to plan a trajectory mm -hmm. to get to that point. Because okay. I don't think the public markets are going to be patient very much longer for businesses that are not profitable and may not be profitable for a long time to come. All right. Interesting. Okay, let's open it up for questions. If it's okay, Dustin, I'm going to jump down to the fourth question, if that's okay. And we're going to start there. Looking at a couple there, we'll get to them and get through everything. So first question, Gil, that I have for you for board meetings. How many yeah. boards, by the way, today do you sit on? I sit on eight boards where I'm a member and four where I'm an observer. Wow. Yeah. 12 boards. You're yeah. busy. Thank yes. you for making the time for today. <laughs> sure. wow, it's busy. For board meetings, what best practices? So here's the first question we got. For board meetings, what best practices should be used to prevent some of the debacle things that have happened from happening? Is there anything that you... Here's, here's how I like to, to um, have board meetings run. Mm -hmm. Do not surprise the board members, yes. right? Right. If, if there is something that's happening... Yep. Make sure that the board members are not hearing about it for the first time in the board meeting. Mm -hmm. Be very upfront mm -hmm. about all the things that are going well, great, mm -hmm. and yeah. all the things that aren't going well. So the first two slides I like to see are highlights mm -hmm. and lowlights. Put it out there right. for you know for, for you know for, for everybody so that they're not surprised. All right. And 
talk about it, the purpose of a board meeting is not necessarily to go through all the tactical things that are happening with the company because the CEO is involved in that all the time. Right. This is an opportunity for the board to sort of pull the CEO out of the weeds mm -hmm. and talk about strategy, mm -hmm. not what's happening next month or next quarter, but really what is the long-term trajectory of the company. Okay. So, so you, know, you should be talking about you know, long-term you know, financials, you should be talking about um, burn rate, when you're gonna be running out, out of capital, um, when do you need to raise, and then talk about the you know, strategy, go to market, partners, products, mm -hmm. and things like that. It shouldn't be talking about like what's happening in the you know the the day to day around right. the business. It's interesting. I remember reading an article years ago, and I tried I tried to use and I used this same best practice that that Jeff Bezos when he runs a board meeting and when we used to do board meetings. Right. Sure. My job is to get you the board deck at least three days in advance. My wife that runs company, she's always better than me. She always gets her board deck seven days in advance. Wow. And the expectation is yeah. the board members read it in advance. Yeah. She actually her new for Amber a new technique she does is she gives everyone a homework assignment. So uh -huh. when they come to the board meeting, they have to have a yeah. special issue they've looked at. But anyway, um, but what's interesting is that when you come but by the way, yeah. to, to that, yeah. um, uh, one of my portfolio companies send out the board deck ahead of time right. and doesn't go through the board deck. That's what I was going right. to say. Right? Yeah. It's not, okay. you shouldn't you read yeah. it. Right? Yeah. And then what Jeff Bezos would say is when I'm sitting down with my board members and yeah. in these complicated situations, what are the two or three things that are keeping me awake at night? Mm -hmm. That's what I should be talking to my board about, not right. the, reading them a status report. Right. They can read it on their own. And that, you know, you give the board deck and say, are there any questions? Okay, now let's yeah. talk about the things that are keeping me awake at night. So yeah. anyway, let me move on. Let me ask sure. you this. If the question is, should CEOs also be the chairman of the board or is it better corporate governance to split these roles? Now we've seen this, I think mm -hmm. Boeing, right? Let's talk about a big, yeah. not sure. a startup, a hundred year old plus company, yeah. like a, the CEO was stripped of the chairman title. You, had, you know, Travis at, at Uber was also chairman. You had WeWork situation chairman. In the companies you're involved with today and the boards, is the CEO typically also the chairman? And do you think that should be split because it's good governance to prevent the yeah, anomaly? In, in companies that, that, that I've been involved in, yeah. the CEO is, has, has been the chairman. All right. Um, but we, we don't run them like sort of public market uh, boards right. where there's a, there's a big distinction between the chairman mm -hmm. and all the other board members. All right. It's much more collaborative. Mm -hmm. There, there isn't um, uh, board members where one is, you know, managing the process. Everybody's involved in it. Right. Everybody's having a discussion. We talk about so all collegiate. kinds of top, yeah, yeah. topics. Uh -huh. So it's 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 true that that it's really among equals. There isn't, right. even though the CEO is the chairman, mm -hmm. um, we all help set the agenda, talk about you know subjects, uh, you know, contribute to the discussions mm -hmm. and all. Okay. All right, cool. Let me go to the next question from Jasmine. Um, and Jasmine wrote, do you expect any negative impact in the U.S. property market because of the WeWork disaster? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, hey, do you know that there's certain markets where I think New York City and a couple other major markets, they're yeah. the largest lessor, lessee, lessor of commercial real estate, yeah. you know, office space in those cities. Yeah. I think that there, yes, there will be an impact yep. in, in, in the real estate space. But I, I'm not sure exactly what the magnitude of that will be because I think on the other side, mm -hmm. we're seeing that the model mm -hmm. is popular. Right. And the, the we're seeing it here, the yeah, co-working sure. space, right. where in many cases it's a more efficient, sure. more profitable use of space. Mm -hmm. So I think at the same time that we see maybe we work uh, you know, pulling back a little bit, I think that we're going to see a lot of other type of uh, co-working spaces, you know, step in. Right. So I'm not sure net net what will happen. Okay, it's interesting, but I know yeah. they've talked about, you know, New York is a dominating market. And I think I don't know if it's a profitable market, but WeWork does well there. But I had read some things just in the popular press in the last week or two that WeWork's thinking of like, there's some markets where we're not doing well. We'll just pull out of those markets. Yeah. And you could see if they're smaller cities, it could really have an impact, yeah. um, but hopefully things equalize. Jasmine, thanks for your question. Next question that we have, we have a bunch more, um, is from, if I pronounce your name correctly, Kanopriya. Um, and the question is, what do you forecast for digital health companies exit IPO valuations 
over the next three years. You don't That's think very that specific. That is very specific. Let me read that again. What do you forecast yeah. for digital health companies' exit and IPO valuations over the next three years? So, so I just have a separate question. It's a, sure. it's a dreaming issue, and then I'll, yeah. I'll go back to the actual yeah. real question. When a company and a startup is pitching you, this yeah. is a loaded question because sure. Dreamit has a, an opinion on this, but I'd love to hear yours. Do you, if you're at a seed or Series A, are you looking at what's their exit and what's their IPO that early? And do you want to hear from that this type of thing and thinking about valuation three, five, seven years from now from the founder? No, no. Okay, not that detailed. But okay. I, I, I want the CEO to be able to tell me. Who are the potential acquirers? Right. It's not about price. It's not uh -huh. about timing because those things you know change over time. Right. But you know, you're building a company. You're building value. Right. At the end of the day, if you take venture capital, it's about an exit. It's sure. about getting acquired. Right. And acquired or IPO. Right. An, or IPO. Though oh. most of them happen as uh, get a get acquired and right. less so uh, an IPO. Right. And, and so you really have to ask your question. To whom will this asset be valuable mm -hmm. uh, to? Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't name anybody, well, that's a red flag. All right. Um, so you should at least think about who are the potential acquirers. Right. It's it's interesting. A lot of the dreamit companies, what we advise them, and we see that they meet with a lot of angel investors. And the first question, who's going to acquire you? Mm -hmm. so an angel investor always asks. Not that. the first question. It's no, one of the it, questions. It's, you're right. It's yeah. not the first question. Yeah. You are correct. It shouldn't it's be just, a first. It shouldn't it, be the first. It is question. not the first question. Yeah. But it's a very popular question. <clears throat> yeah. And, we advise a lot of our startups to basically dodge the answer, mm -hmm. answering that question and say, I'm not thinking about who's acquiring me. I'm not thinking about exit right now. What yeah. I'm thinking about is building a dominating company and making it profitable. And you yeah. know what? If I dominate, monopolize an industry and I'm, I'm profitable, you know what? Good things are going to come along. But I'm not yeah. so smart that five to seven years from now, I can figure out who's going to acquire me. I'm going to go public. But I know if I own a market, the right thing will happen. It's at least the I'd way push would... back. Okay, that's yeah, a great answer. Back. I yeah. love that answer. It's like yeah, very yeah. polished. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and but 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 um, you know, I, I would say like, who you know, why would somebody buy you? Right. <clears throat> Again, not the first question, sure. not the first meeting, but but down the line. Yep. Like, why would somebody buy you? Either for your customers, for your revenue, for your team, for mm -hmm. your tech. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, and so, um, I would definitely want them to have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, about who the potential acquirers are. It's just, and, and the last thing, and then we'll move to the actual sure, question that was sure. asked. The thing that I, that always kind of gets us upset, and when somebody is pitching Dreamit, mm -hmm. so when people are applying and getting yeah. into our cycles, you know, they'll pitch Dreamit and they'll have a slide in there that it says exit. It, and, and they're uh -huh. a Cedar pre-Series A, and they're yeah. talking, we're not asking. They're just, sure. it's built right into their deck. It's like, yeah. I don't, and to me, that's a little bit of a red flag. I don't want to hear yeah. you talking about I, we just met. I don't want to know how right. you're exiting. But anyway, so, so it could yeah. change the conversation in three ways. Sure. One is if they can't think of anybody who would acquire the company, like right. maybe it's not acquirable. Right. And maybe it has to IPO, which mm -hmm. which greatly you know reduces potentially the outcome or increases you know the risk. Risk. Sure. Right. Yeah. If they have sort of a general who's who, mm -hmm. then it's like okay, yeah, I could see that. Right. On the upside case. Um, uh, there may be some potential acquires that I hadn't thought about right. um, that make the company very much more attractive because mm -hmm. I know that if they build this type of company, mm -hmm. that company or, or a few companies in that space would really want to acquire it. Okay, good. Okay, so let me go back. So the actual, and I can give an opinion here too. You know, what, what do you forecast for digital health companies' exit IPO valuations over the next three years? I'll just give you because yeah. we do. Oh, a why don't you take that question? We, because we, I don't do digital health. We do a lot yeah. of digital health. Look, we see the digital health space continuing to grow. It's very hard. A lot of our companies, the sales cycle when they're selling into big healthcare systems, academic medical centers, those are long, you know, yep. 12 to 18 month sales cycles, which are very difficult. I would expect that valuations will hold steady or grow. Part of it is, and it was the bet Dreamit made, when Dreamit went into the digital health space mm -hmm. seven or eight years ago, yeah. the thesis was all the new EHRs were coming online. I mean, remember when you used to go to your doctor and they pulled the chart? Sure. Like they yep. never pull a chart yep. anymore. It's all right. digital now. And the early thesis from Dreamit was, this is all gonna get digitized. Once it's digitized, the data is gonna flow out and what can startups do mm -hmm. once that data is there, which is yeah. what we're seeing now. So. 
we see the digitization just continuing and growing, the amount of data continuing to grow. We see so many interesting companies applying AI and machine learning and doing interesting things when they're doing real AI and machine learning. Most startups, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, everybody, well, we're doing AI and machine learning. Great. Sure. What problem do you solve and who cares? Yeah. Everybody does that. But I would think that as that data grows, as the use cases grow, as companies and startups attack real problems with real data and can come up with insightful solutions and solve them, that that, that value will continue to grow. Yeah. And particularly on the M&A side, not as much on the, on the IPO side, but when you look at companies like Philips or Siemens or GE Healthcare or other big um, EHR kind of players that have been around for decades or, or mm -hmm. longer, it, it's just like other spaces, right? M&A is how they do their right. R&D. Yep. They gobble these companies up, mm -hmm. they prove something, and it just makes more sense. Yep. So, okay. Great answer. Okay. Better Thank than you. I could have done. Okay. Thank well, you. Anyway, let's keep going. Okay, next question is from Raj, who came in from LinkedIn. What do you see as a main driver <clears throat> for multi-billion dollar valuations being more common with West Coast companies as opposed to East Coast companies? And why is there a huge disconnect in valuation? So... East Coast wrap, West Coast wrap. What's the difference? And you guys, you have an office right in LA? Yeah, or, we have yeah. an office in, LA, in San Francisco. Yeah, right. where, uh, Amy's most there. Most of our partners, yep. Yeah, yeah. Amy Vance, the head of the fund, is, yeah. is in San Francisco as well. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I think it might be the types of businesses and the risk profile of some of these businesses that are formed on the West Coast versus the East Coast. All right. It might also just be the law of numbers right. that more companies are getting sure. founded. There's more capital available on the West Coast mm -hmm. than, than the East Coast. Right. I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah. We um, see it all the time. It's right. West Coast valuation versus an East Coast valuation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah I, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, there's a cultural difference. I think there's a lot of risk taking on the East Coast and the West Coast, but mm -hmm. I think there's more risk taking on, on the West Coast. How would it be? And when you have, there are probably more failures on the West yep. Coast uh, proportionally. Uh, but that gives you the opportunity. All it takes is one of these companies to, to, uh, you know, to, to, to be a unicorn, right? Right, and we, we forget about all the sort of the, you know the roadkill. Right. I think the other thing is you you have a compounding effect, right? You and I are both ex -entre ex entrepreneurs, sure, ex startup right. people. Right now yeah. we invest, and I like to think I'm still a startup person. The yeah, startup I run you are, today definitely. is Dream It. Right. Yep. It's just it's Absolutely. another form of a, of a company. But it's, it's interesting. So I think maybe on the West Coast, you have a compounding effect. So you have more entrepreneurs that exit. Yeah. They're willing to invest in other entrepreneurs that exit. They exit, you just get a, a more rapid compound. Right. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. I so, think you're right. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And it's interesting. And there's certain markets, like I was in Israel last week, and, and you just see so much entrepreneurial yeah. activity. It's just like crazy. Yeah. Valuations are a lot lower, but it's just really cool startup nation yeah, um, stuff. Agreed. Anyway, okay. Next question from Above Promotions Company. Is the fail fast discussion still relevant? Was it ever? Yes and yes. Okay. It's, I think it's always relevant. Yep. I like how you put it early on. That was Roy. Learn fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, can uh, I, let me just yeah, finish sure, that. Sure. Go ahead. So what, the way, so Roy Rosen, great fan, chief innovation yeah, officer now. He's awesome. At, he's great. At Penn Medicine. Yep. He, he was at Intuit for forever. And, and he taught me that expression. It was great. He's like, it's not a matter of failing fast, it's learning fast. Yeah. And he said, and the way I used to think of it into it, you know, if, if somebody spent, you know, took $100,000 and three engineers in six months, whatever the ratio was, yeah. and something didn't work, we called that learning. Yep. Now, if you took $10 million and three years and 50 people and yeah. it didn't work, that's called failure. Right. And it's yeah. all a matter of degree is yes. how he kind of explained yeah. it. Also, I think um, companies can survive these days a lot longer than they used to, sure. right? They can cut their burn down, you have cloud services, right? Where it's pay as you go. Um, I think part of the problem today is companies, zombie companies are around, right. and they're not calling it quits because they don't have to. Right. They, they can cut their burn so low and they have a little bit of traction, they can survive forever. Right. I think it hurts the ecosystem in a couple different ways. Zombie companies? Yeah, zombie yeah. companies is that they should just at some point realize this is not going to be a breakout company. Right. And they should fail. Right. Uh, and some of those might be in my portfolio and you hate to see it happen, sure. but it, it happens. And, uh, but, but it starves the ecosystem of two things. One is founders who would come up with another idea. Right. And start another company. Right. And two is all the employees, the talent right. that, that we have. That talent doesn't get recycled back mm -hmm. 
into the uh, into the ecosystem. But, but can I just credit where credit's sure. due? Let's go back to Packlate for a minute. Now, sure. I don't know if you remember, but I remember a couple of phone calls and late night text messages with you and Chris Freilich. Packlate wasn't working. Yeah. Right. And we had gone through a million and a half or 1.3 million, whatever sure. it was. And I didn't want to give up. And yeah. I remember Chris and I think you, you know, like, wait, what's the W mean in the spreadsheet at first round capital? Does that mean win? No, that means write off. Yeah. <laughs> we write it off. I was <laughs> right. like, oh, I thought it right. meant win. <laughs> no, it's not. It doesn't. It's the opposite yeah. of win. And, I and remember, we love that about entrepreneurs, but, but which, I, which is, which is like, you know, they will, you know, run fast, hit a brick wall, back right. up run the same speed back right. in that same brick wall. Right. You know, but, I think you need that to yeah. be an entrepreneur. But, but what you, the both of you did, Genicast and First Round Capital yeah. did with me at that time, was you said to me, shut it down. I said, but mm. I have outside people's money. I don't want, I was like trying to get into sure. zombie mode. Sure. And you said your opportunity cost is too high. Shut it yeah. down, move on. Yeah. I've never met another investor that's ever said that. So I think some yeah. of the zombie companies, because most VCs would yeah. be like, you know what? Strip it down from 50 people to three people. Just keep working on it a couple of years. Yeah. Maybe something. They just don't want to take the write off, right? Because yeah. they don't want to take the write off. There's no risk to them except they can't do the write off. And and what's the yeah. yeah? Anyway, and I think that part of the zombie company mentality is probably investors that don't say like shut it down, like yeah. move on. So well, look, thank you. For had you it. still stayed with that, you know, dream it would not be what it is today. Well, yeah. Right, and Thanks. and think of how many. Startups you touch today, and right. and, and those companies will be starving. Thirty-five that. to forty. 30, yeah, we're getting there. right. We're getting there. Okay, let me uh, two more questions, and we'll wrap up. Gil, um, Hosea, if that's how you pronounce it, um, Hosea asked, "How do you agree on or calculate the value of a unicorn as an investor?" Let me let me let me generalize that. Yeah. How do you agree or calculate the value of any startup when you're doing a pre-money valuation? Yeah. Are there some formulas you use? We can do it at the unicorn level as well, but could we just answer the more general question? How does, I'm raising 1 million. What do you expect the pre? Or if I'm raising, I'm doing my series B and I want to raise 60 million. How do, how do you calculate that? It's a really difficult question. All right. Does it involve uh, dice, cards, or a tie All of those, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, astrology, the whole thing. The, right. the, the, the main thing that we're trying to solve for mm -hmm. is a meaningful position in the company. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that, and there, there are three different variables, right? There's ownership, mm -hmm. there is um, uh, valuation, and that's the amount of capital that, that you raise. Right. 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 And as the company grows and they actually have repeatable revenue, it becomes a little bit easier mm -hmm. because you can do public market comps and look at the multiples on that. But early on, at the, certainly at the seed stage, the A, maybe even at the B stage, mm -hmm. where they still don't have, they haven't fully realized the potential and repeatability and scalability of their mm -hmm. sales. Um, it's really, a, from our point of view, it's really about can we get an ownership position five, 10, 15%, what have you. Mm -hmm. um, as a lead investor. As a lead investor. Right. That um, gets us up in the morning and says, you know, I want to work for this company. Right. I, I want to make sure that they're successful. If our ownership is, is too tiny, it doesn't move the dial for us. Right. right. And it doesn't move the dial for the fund. Right. Now, with that said, from an entrepreneur's point of view, the advice I give to them is, if you have no term sheets, that's your valuation. Right. If you have <laughs> one term sheet, right. that's your valuation. Right. right. right? Fair it's only value. when you have two or more right. term sheets that you can really impact the valuation of the company. And then, so at the unicorn level, how, how do you, when they're at those levels, like... There you're, you're mirroring um, a public company, right. Mm -hmm. right? And you're looking at the metrics that you would have as a public company, mm -hmm. and you would apply them directly. Got it. So whether it's a multiple on top line or mm -hmm. bottom line, right. impacted by growth, high growth versus mm -hmm. moderate growth. Got it. So it's really a public market exercise at that point. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, we're, we're gonna hit our last question. Elliot Levy from Philly. Yay, Philly. Um, and it's it's uh, our daughter the other day reminded me, remember, it's Sixer season now, so it's important yes, in Philly. Yes, we're it's back okay. in. We're back in, okay. So um, in general, when analyzing the quality of a venture's revenue, what characteristics get too much attention or which ones don't get enough? Again, analyzing the quality, 
It's an interesting choice of words. Yeah. Quality of a venture's revenue. Last question. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I, I think that when you say quality of the mm -hmm. revenue, mm -hmm. for me, quality revenue is where you have diversified revenue. There mm -hmm. isn't concentration. Right. Uh, it means that there is some repeatability mm -hmm. to that, that you sort of figured out the model. It's not, it's not a like a one-off right. uh, sale here or there. Mm -hmm. um, it's also that the revenue is beginning to be scalable, mm -hmm. right? that you figured out how to hire two reps or put out twice as much product or whatever that is mm -hmm. in order to, to, to increase revenue. Okay. So you're, you're um, you have the repeatability, you have the scalability, mm -hmm. um, and then you have sort of diversified uh, revenue stream. That's okay. what quality means. To okay, me. I'll add yeah. a couple other sure. things. By the way, we look at the quality of the revenue, even the way like deals flow through the pipeline. How are yeah. you doing? How are you closing? What's your cutoff rate? Sure. That type of thing. Yeah. The other thing in quality of the revenue and some of the problems we see with very, very early stage companies, sometimes they're transitioning from being a services company to a product company. Yeah. They haven't figured it out. And you yeah. look at their revenue and they're coming into agreement like, but we're already doing $600,000 a year. And yeah. you drill in and you start pressure testing yeah. that revenue. It's consulting and it's all services, consulting and services. Yeah, one-off revenue. Right? Right. There's no, well, right. you're, you're telling us about this great product. How much have you sold? Yeah. Well, we're doing $600,000 a year. I didn't ask you that. How much of the product have you yeah. sold? Well, yeah. we're still just doing trials. That's a good question. It's, it's awesome. Right? So you start, and we do a yeah. lot of like pressure testing, right? You, you put it in and it just kind of falls apart. Yeah. So that's quality revenue. And like you said, it's repeatability. Yeah. Right? Can you do it again and again? A lot of times, one of the things we see with a lot of the digital health, and again, we do digital health, we do cybersecurity companies and urban mm -hmm. tech companies. Yeah. With the digital health companies, one of the problems is, you know, they'll have one or two deals and the Adam Dakin, who heads up digital health at Dreamit, great guy, terrific managing director, you know, he'll say, if you've sold to one hospital system, that means you've sold to one hospital hospital system. Yeah. There's not a lot of repeatability yeah. there. It's just so varying and different. Okay. So I think we're going to wrap it up there. Wonderful. I really, really appreciate. Thank you for the people that stayed on with us for over yes. an hour today. A couple of quick things. If you want to find out about our upcoming and past episodes, please go to dreamit.com slash live. You go to mm -hmm. that page, you'll hit that. Please follow us on our different social channels, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter to stay up to date on future episodes. Um, check out the Dream It Dose on YouTube. We record all these like high velocity, like they're five minutes or less. Oh, it's that's perfect great. in the ADD world. You know, when, a, when an entrepreneur comes to you and says, well, here's my competition, or here's my go-to-market strategy, yeah. or all the, here's my total addressable market, they are these five minute intense little short videos of how to do it correctly. They're, yeah. they're very, very fast. We appreciate everyone tuning in today. Gil, thank you again for your yeah. time and thank sharing you for your having comments. Me. And we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks I so much. I appreciate that. Take Great. care. Bye. Thank you.